Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Welcome to another edition of The Beer Garden, presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, we're going to talk a lot of SEC basketball. In fact, that's what we talk about. Blake Lovell joins us. He's with Clutch Points. Used to work with Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, Athlon. You've seen him all over the place covering SEC basketball. He's based out of Nashville, does a phenomenal job, and is now working with Clutch Points. So we're going to talk about a lot of SEC basketball with him on the show. Before we get to that, let me tell you about the Oxford Crystal. It's on Highway 6 West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. It's, uh, as we tell you all the time, great place to fill up after you fill up. Get 10 Crystals for $6 right now at Crystal. Also, the Scrambler breakfast bowls, fresh cracked eggs, sausage, cheese, bacon, everything you could want to start your day. And for whatever reason, it is still a 1,000 degrees outside. It's been hot. It's still going to be hot for a while. Cool off with those $1 slushies, the Sprite slushies at the Oxford Crystal all day, every day, Highway 6 West in Oxford. We're also coming to you. Thanks to the people at LB's Meat Market. Uh, LB's is uh, right across from Kroger, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford. The freshest cuts, everything you could want, beef, chicken, pork, sausage, seafood from the Gulf, sides, the uh, stuffed jalapenos, the stuffed mushrooms, everything you could possibly want for your big football weekend when you're grilling tailgating, watching NFL on Sunday, whatever the case may be. They have catering. They have plate lunches. You owe it to yourself to go in there, browse, see what you like. If uh, you'd rather call Greg Jones and the people and get them everything prepackaged, they'll do that too. 662-259-2999. And you should tell them that you heard about LB's here on the uh, beer garden. They'll throw a few extra things in your sack, make it uh, – Make your already great trip to LB's even better. I was remiss a minute ago. I forgot to tell you that I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Super simple. Right to the bottom line. No hassle. No haggle. You get a great product. Um, you'll love it. You get a great product. You get great service after the sale. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove it to you. 662-257-1900. We're also sponsored by Community Mortgage, located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. More than 30 years old. It's one of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. It's also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So ask Jason Lowe about Community Mortgage's float-down option, which allows you to lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you can get the lower rate. J-Lowe, J-L-O-W-E, at communitymtg.com. And we're brought to you by Strategic Partners and Media. SPM's a full-service advertising agency, works with businesses of all types, big or small, Fortune 500 companies to startups. SPM can help your advertising needs for TV, radio, print, and every facet of social and digital media. SPM is really diff it's really good. It's different than other ad firms. They handle everything in-house. They don't sub their work out. The writing, the production, the editing is done solely by their staff and crafted uniquely for their clients. And an old Miss grad and a Mississippian is a partner in the firm. So give them a call and see how great they are. Reach out to Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. Again, Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. Dot com, And now let's talk some SEC basketball. Blake, welcome into the show. Really appreciate you uh, spending some time here this afternoon. Thanks so much. 
Yeah, Neil, I appreciate you having me on, man. Uh, great to connect with you. It's uh, hard to believe, and I've said this to many people, that <laughs> we're in October, and like the season starts next month, and it, it seems like it sneaks up on us every year, but uh, here we are. So, Well, and we'll get to this in a minute, but along those lines, I think what's cool is it's like, yeah, it's, we're taping this October the 2nd, and the season's still – 30 some odd days away but not only is it sneaking up on us but people are super excited about it not just here people that watch Ole Miss but people all over the league there's not too many dog teams in the league there's there's a lot of reason for a lot of fan bases to be pretty excited about basketball regardless of what's happening you know with their football program Oh, absolutely. And, and I was talking to someone about this a couple of days ago. We, we were just looking around at the league, and it seems like what we've been able to say really the past several years is you mentioned how pretty much everyone around the league looks at their basketball season, and the expectation now is we think we have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. And I would probably say there's 12 teams this season that look around at kind of what their nucleus is, and how they're approaching the season and feel like that they legitimately have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Now, the two that I wouldn't include, you know what? It's the SEC. We saw Ole Miss, as you know, pick 14th last year. They made the tournament. So it is. It's every single year now we're, we're looking around at this league, and with all the coaches, with all the recruiting classes, just with all the talent that's there, it's so much harder to predict. But at the same time, that pretty much puts every single fan base in a situation where the expectation is to get to the NCAA tournament. And the problem is, as we know, uh, somebody's got to finish 1 through 14, and not everybody's going to get there. Uh, but that's kind of the, how the stakes have been raised during the conference. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we'll get to that in a second. First, tell the listeners a little bit about your background. And, and then I know you have a, uh, you've kind of launched something uh, new here pretty recently. Tell them about that as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I mentioned to, to you and probably most people that have followed me for a while, I started freelancing uh, in college basketball probably around 10 or 11 years ago. And as someone, you know, that, that just bounced around from, from so many different places, I got to a point where I knew SEC basketball probably, you know, as well as anybody just because I, I sit on the couch and watch so many games. And, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a chance on that and, and I won't make anything from it, but I'll start my own site and, and just kind of write about SEC basketball as often as I can. So I started southeasthoops.com, uh, did that for about almost four years, and now getting ready to sort of start a, a new situation. Well, I've already started it, uh, clutchpoints.com, which is a it's a Los Angeles-based company. Um, they kind of grew their name on the NBA. Uh, they've expanded to, to some other sports over the past couple of years, now getting college basketball. So starting that there and, you know, transferring pretty much all my SEC coverage and getting a chance to do it a lot more uh, with other college basketball stuff, and uh, it is. It's just a great opportunity for me. And, you know, as we've talked about, it's just, you know, SEC basketball, the, the way it's grown over the years, it's just something where the league is getting better and there's a lot more opportunity. There's a lot more people who want to talk about it. And uh, I'm just fortunate now to where I at least get a chance to, to write a little bit more uh, because uh, now I kind of am in a situation where I don't just do this on the side. Uh, I can do it a lot more and, you know, just, just do the best I can uh, talk about SEC basketball. You know, you and I said this a minute ago before we hit the record button, but I'll say it again because I think the listeners would find it interesting. It's it's one of those things where it's Mike Slive and Greg Sankey and, and those people at the SEC office, it, it was necessity. It was uh, – financially driven it was understanding the lay of the land a little bit but when they launched the sec network i can remember people thinking well what will they put on there and you know and yeah (laughs) football's huge in the sec yeah breaking but football doesn't start until september and it's over in november and they play one game a week and almost everybody plays on saturdays coaches really don't want thursday games Schools don't want Thursday games. Nobody wants to give away a revenue night and move a Saturday game to Thursday with the exception of holidays and stuff. And so you've got Saturday programming in the fall is awesome. you got football, man. you got football at 11, football at 3, football at 6.30. Got it covered. Pre-game, post-game, you're done. But 
when you don't have football, you had to have something to put on that network. And it not only had to be something, it had to be quality. Yep. You, had, you had to have something good. And obviously with basketball, that was the natural thing because you could play games Tuesday night. You could play games Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. You can play women's games on Sunday, all that stuff. You can get live television on your screen throughout the course of the week, but it had to be good. You had to have nationally relevant teams, and the league basically put out a mandate to the schools. You're going to commit resources to basketball, and everyone has, and you look up, and we talked about it a minute ago, in a really short period of time, the league has gone from being, well, let's think, 2013 when Ole Miss won the SEC tournament, I think they were one of three teams that made the field. Yeah. And then last season, Ole Miss makes the tournament. I'm using them as a reference. It was their first time to make the tournament. Well, not their first time. I guess their second time since that. And it was, what, seven, eight teams? Now half the league gets in. Maybe eight teams get in. It's completely changed, and so much of that is due to that basic mandate that Hey everybody, you're going to commit to the sport whether you want to commit to it or not. Yeah, no, that's the case. And you were mentioning, you know, you think back when Ole Miss won that, when that was during that stretch of where I think it was three out of four years. I think you had three teams only get in, and everybody's looking around. And and as we knew, I mean, who were the main teams getting in? It was Kentucky and Florida. Like they were there, and it was just a matter of who was going to be that other team that got in around them. Is what it felt like. Um, and, and that's where you mentioned the network and all this, the, the strength of the league is now in that you're not just seeing teams that, that are a lot better just on TV playing anyone, you're seeing them play good teams. And whereas we can remember back, um, during kind of, I guess the, the dark days of the SEC basketball landscape where no one's scheduling, you know, at the highest level because there was no reason to, I mean, you didn't have to, and, you know, there was no nothing in place that said, hey, you need to go out and schedule a lot tougher. You need to play teams that are going to help you get better, even though even if you lose some of these games, it's going to help your NCAA tournament resume. It's going to give us more opportunities as a conference uh, to get more teams in. Well, now it's there, and everybody is at least trying to go out and play these tough schedules. And I'm going through some of them now, and it's just they get better and better because, they understand with the way the tournament works, you have to play a tough non-conference schedule. And so when you combine that with just all the different things and all the different resources that are out there now in the SEC, it just makes more sense. I mean, it's it's why the league has gotten to this point. And I, there's been a lot of people that have asked me, they're like, well, is this just one of those things where it's a, a three- or four-year thing where we see kind of the boom and then it goes back? <laughs> I don't think so. That's just not how it works anymore. Uh, knowing the money that's invested, knowing the resources that are invested. Um, I just don't think you're going to see a situation where all of a sudden uh, we're looking up at the SEC and there's only three teams getting in again. I think it's just a whole new ball game now. Oh, yeah. I, in fact, and we'll start here. Here's my prediction. I predicted this last season at the end of the tournament. The league is so good this year, and everyone's schedule is so good this year, and the way that the new formula favors the Power Five conferences, in my opinion. Feel free to tell me I'm an idiot in a minute. (laughs) My theory is this is the season, or my prediction is, this is the season that a sub-500 SEC team, meaning a team that goes 8-10 and or worse in the SEC, makes the field. Yep, very possible. And I wouldn't deny that at all because I, I do think when you look around at the SEC, we, we mentioned the, the, the scheduling and all that. And I think this is one of those years where you – and it feels like I've said this every year, so I'm probably just repeating myself for the third year in a row. But it just it's another one of those years where when you look at that, that middle range in the SEC, there is absolutely no way to predict how it's going to unfold for probably – I don't know, maybe nine, ten teams in the league. Like, you feel like there are nine or ten teams that could just finish in a variety of different ranges, and you would be like, well, I could see that because that's just the SEC. Now, the four teams, I guess I wouldn't include in that just for for me right now would be Kentucky and Florida. I think they're the top two teams, and I think Texas A&M and Vanderbilt 
are probably the two teams that, that are going to be behind everyone and kind of trying to, to make up ground there with new coaches. But everyone else, you know, I could see all these different teams in a best-case scenario uh, finishing very high, and that, you know, that's going to result in teams beating up on each other in conference play. And we could, you know, see a situation where someone's sitting there at 8-10 and 10 and feel like, you know what, that team's still deserving of getting in just because of all the competition that they're playing on a night-in-night basis in the SEC because it is. It just gets stronger and stronger, and uh, it's just going to be another one of those years, I think. I don't think he'll mind me saying this. Um, I was texting the other night with Andy Kennedy, the former Ole Miss coach, now an SEC analyst. He said he thinks Texas A&M is this year's Ole Miss, <laughs> meaning pick to finish near the bottom, first-year coach, uh a lot of energy in the program. Got some veterans back. Going to beat some people. We'll start with the Aggies. Why not? I wasn't going to start there. Yeah. You mentioned <laughs> them, and I thought, well, well, we'll start there. What do you think of their team? What What is the what is the impact that, that Buzz Williams has on that program, both short-term and, and I, I guess, long-term as well? Yeah, no, it's, it's the perfect hire, I mean, in my opinion. You know, exactly what you needed, and – uh, he's someone where, I mean, we see all his past success, and it's something where he, he's found a way to win everywhere he's been. And, and now that he has, uh, you know, such tremendous resources, the best resources he's had before in terms of just being at A&M, we, we know the facilities there and just all the different, you know, you're in Texas, you can re- recruit, and, and there's just lots of different things that, that are going to benefit him uh, being there. And you, you said it too, I think something people forget is that they do have three double-digit scores back. And and that's something that, you know, not a lot of teams have back. And so you at least can build off of that this year, and I wouldn't be surprised. Look, I said that, you know, I'd probably put them in that bottom two right now, and that, that to me uh, is more based on feeling better about the teams in front of them uh, and ne- not necessarily knowing exactly how things are going to go for the Aggies this year because there are some unknowns. Um, they they need more depth, and, and they're a team that, that's probably going to have to uh, get everybody on the same page pretty quickly, and you never know how that's going to work when you're adding so many different new players. Um, but and he is. He's the right fit there, and, and they're one of those teams that, and I think I said this, um, they're going to be a team you're not going to want to play probably once we get to that February range because it's just knowing how his teams play with the type of toughness that they play with uh, even if they aren't the most talented team in the SEC, they do have some guys coming back, uh, and it's just a matter of how quickly does everything come together and are they able to go out and win some of these games on the road uh, knowing that they're going to have to sort of mix and match some things just there in this first season. I think when you start SEC basketball, you start with Kentucky. They've been the class of the league forever. and they, he, Calipari's gone out and recruited another kind of you know blue-chip class, yet – you know, a year ago, they, 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 they didn't feel like the dominant team in the league. It felt like they were some people had caught up with them a little bit. Uh, I, I know they've got Sestina transferred over. Um, th- they've still got, uh, you know, a really talented team, but it's another young team. E.J. Montgomery's back for his sophomore season. What do you expect from them? Well, and I do this every year, and I said eventually I'm going to get brave enough to pick somebody out of Kentucky to win the, the SEC, but – uh, I keep defaulting back to them just because when you look up and down the roster, it's just another year where, I mean, they, they have the depth at every position. It seems like um, getting E.J. Montgomery back, getting Nick Richards back, that was huge because now you have guys who in the front court we know are really good rebounders. There's guys who can defend, and they're guys who are going to get better on offense. Uh, but, you know, you also get Ashton Hagens back. And so you have uh, experience, I guess, on a Kentucky team. Your, your sophomores are your experienced players, but yet we haven't always seen that with them, where you have at least, you know, three or four different sophomores coming back that got a lot of playing time and are undoubtedly going to get a lot better. And then you combine it with this freshman class, which, once again, it's loaded, and, and there's guys who will, step in right away and be double-digit contributors. Uh, that's just the way it works there, Kentucky. Um, but I will say, you know, I, I love Kentucky. I think they're going to be really good, and, and their top five preseason 
uh, you know, placement is warranted, but I I would not be surprised if, if Florida is the team that does uh, finish at the top just because yeah. I'm so impressed with, with this class that Mike White put together. And because they have that nucleus coming back, those three sophomores, Andrew Nimhard, Noah Locke, and Keontae Johnson, um, that Florida could, could be that team that, you know, can, can win a national championship this year. And I don't think that's going too far because they're going to be one of the best defensive teams in the country. They've got the offensive playmakers now. Uh, Florida can be the complete package. You know, so, so good Kentucky, and that's what makes uh, that race there at the top. It's going to be very fascinating. Yeah, they're my pick. Uh, for the reason you just said, they've, they've got that group of sophomores back that now have experience that are impact players. Blackshear changes the game for them. Uh, yeah. Frankly, uh, Anthony Dirigi, the transfer from Louisiana Tech, is impactful for them. And then they've got that freshman class that is full of guys. They're not all going to pan out right away, but they're not all going to bust either. Uh, you know, <laughs> Trey Mann and, and uh, uh, Omar Payne. And there's, there's just a lot of potentially impactful freshmen for them. Mike White's problem is the best problem a coach can have is how do you keep that roster full of players happy? Yeah. Absolutely, and he's got a lot of them. I mean, this is easily, you know, this is easily the best team he's had there. It's easily the deepest team he's had there, and and it's. But as we said, with a lot of these teams, you only play five at one time, and um, have finding that rotation. And and look, offensively, his teams have been inconsistent, as we know, you know, in recent years, and and it's been the same on defense too. But they've managed to figure that out a lot more on that side of the court. So I just don't really see the offensive concerns. We've had the past because they do have Blackshear and they do have all those young guys uh, who are, are getting a lot better and just are, are going to be, you know, they're going to have four or five different players that, that are all SEC uh, type of players and they're that good. And um, when you combine all that together, you know, you've got Scotty Lewis in there now, a freshman who's probably a top 10 pick in the draft next year. There's just so much to like about this Florida team. And uh, I guess uh, at some point before the season starts, I'll probably change my pick to them. Uh, and I'll go back and forth on them in Kentucky for about a month or two. All right, let's talk about Ole Miss. Uh, a lot of listeners want to get your thoughts on them. Um, I watched them practice the other day. It, it's the most talented Ole Miss team that I've seen since I've been on the beat, and I guess this is my 11th or 12th season. I've lost count. Um, they uh, they went out and got Hadim C, the Juco transfer. Sammy Hunter gives them – size and athleticism uh, on the low post that they, they haven't had before, frankly. Uh, they've got an experienced backcourt in Tyree and Shuler. They, they've they added impactful wings. They're deeper. Henson's a sophomore now. K.J. Buffin's a sophomore now. Luis Rodriguez, sophomore, changed his body. What's kind of your – and it, most people were picking them sort of on the outside looking in as it pertains to the NCAA tournament. What's kind of your – general expectations of this Ole Miss team going in? Well, I've got a funny story for you, and it's one that um, I, I always go back to here because I, I did this about a month ago. So my friend uh, Sam Snelling, who runs a Missouri site, he every year he sends out this thing, and it's a basically a random pick every single result of every single conference game in the SEC uh, before the season starts. There, there's obviously no great formula to it. You're just going through randomly picking games based on team schedules. So obviously he sends it back and he goes, are you sure about this? I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you've got Kentucky and Florida one and two. I said, well, yeah, that, there's nothing wrong with that. He's like, but are you, are you all right with number three? I was like, well, I don't even remember who, did I, who ended up being number three when you did the results of all this. He said, well, it's Ole Miss. And so I'm like, really? Well, and then I went back through the schedule, and I, I looked at it. I was like, okay, well, they, they have a, I like the way their schedule plays out. Uh, I said, well, let me, let me just look at it one more time. I went back through again. I couldn't find any changes that I would make right now. Now, obviously, that's a completely random before the season starts, three months before SEC play sure. starts, and nothing that is going to be of any value just other than a random preseason pick. But that kind of tells you where I'm at on them because you said it. It's the deepest team I've seen there in a little while, and I think that they have so many different options in terms of how they're going to be able to play. And and getting to know you know Kermit Davis when he was here, you know around Nashville at NTSU, and just the way he likes to play 
this feels like a roster that is going to be perfect for him because he has those guards. Uh, he has these versatile type of wings and forwards that he can play in a lot of different places. And he's got a guy like Blake Henson who everyone knows I am extremely high on. I thought that, you know, he had a good year last year, but I think he can be, you know, an all-SEC type of player this year. I think he's that good. He's got that much potential. I'm very high on them, um, putting them ahead of teams like Alabama, LSU, Auburn may be a challenge uh, for a lot of people when you look at it, but I would not be surprised if we're talking about them just in that next group uh, behind Florida and Kentucky here as we go into the season. Yeah, that's what I've told people. People have said, give me a ceiling, and I'm like, okay, third in the SEC? Yeah. You know, I, I think that's fair. I, yeah. don't, I don't know that that that's the thing is is it's the first time that I've covered them and I covered the Marshall Henderson era when they they were talented but they were undersized in the post I mean you know if you think back to those teams Reggie Buckner was a shot blocker but he wasn't a, an impactful offensive player and he he wasn't he wasn't a great defender uh, Murphy Holloway would really defend you and, and play hard and had an understanding of the game that was probably underrated. But he was 6'5". Right. And so he couldn't, you know, he couldn't guard some of the, the threes and fours in the league effectively. And, yeah, you had Henderson, and, and he was a scoring machine, but he was a bad defender. Uh, Jarvis Summers was an underrated player. They had players, but... It wasn't a super deep team. It, it it wasn't a team that sometimes made a lot of sense. And you know, they had the Tariqa White, Chris Warren team, but that team had injuries and they never really worked together. This is this is an interesting team because they've got a, a veteran backcourt, two good players, and then they've got a, like you said, they got a bunch of athletes. It's it's the only the, the only two teams in the league that I look at and say those teams are better than Ole Miss. They're more athletic than Ole Miss. They're just they're just better than Ole Miss, and Ole Miss would have to play over its head to beat them. Are Florida and Kentucky? Everybody else? Yeah. Now, they, now don't get me wrong; they could lose to a lot of other teams too. But everybody else is it's from a an athleticism and talent and depth standpoint. It's it's not a mismatch. No, and I think this is, and he said it. You know, the, the athleticism, the length that they have on this team is going to be one of their biggest strengths. And that's something where, in a league where those are obviously always the biggest strengths, uh, you, you need that. And now that they have that, where they can, you know, and you don't just have it at one or two different spots. Like, they've got it a lot of different places. And they have the depth now to, to be able to, to compete with, with these teams every single night and beat, you know, any team in the SEC. Uh, and depth is something we talk about a lot. And some people think it's overrated. Uh, it is, I guess, to an extent, but you always need it because it just allows you more versatility in how you can play and how you can go out and game plan against you know all these different teams you're going to play because not every team's the same. You're going to have to do different things, uh, as we know, to, to beat different teams. And so he's got that this year. And you know, uh, my my love for Blake Henson, but it's the same for for Brian Tyree and Devontae Shuler and. Even as someone who was the, the biggest Terrence Davis fan in the world, which I think anybody can tell you that from day one, um, I looked at Terrence Davis, just saw how he progressed throughout his entire career. It was pretty amazing. And even in losing someone like him, I still think that they have the nucleus in place, plus all these new guys they're going to have there, uh, to be one of the better teams in the SEC. And I think for the people maybe who are looking at him and thinking they're going to be on the outside looking in, it's just maybe how does everything come together with the chemistry with the new guys, which is a fair question. We ask that about teams a lot. It's the same with all these teams like the Kentucky team. It's the same thing we ask when they bring in so many new guys in the freshman class and all that. It's just how do your newcomers fit in with the guys you have coming back? I don't see it being a problem. I think that's been a strength of Kermit Davis for over the years. I mean, he's been able to bring in new guys and plug them in immediately and make them impact players. He developed players. Uh, as good as anybody in the country, I think, just in seeing him, how he developed that program at Middle Tennessee, and now he's doing it there. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm someone that's very high on Ole Miss, and I would have a hard time uh, saying that they're not going to be in the NCAA tournament this year. Well, you, you mentioned the importance of depth. I don't want to pick on the kid because the kid was a great story. But last season, when Devontae Shuler kind of suffered an injury that he probably needed to 
take a couple of weeks. He couldn't. And Ole Miss had to play D.C. Davis a lot. Right. And, and D.C.'s, a, again, great story. Worked hard to get to where he was as a, as a former walk-on and, and gave them some impactful minutes and, and made some shots. But come on. He's not the guy, ideally, that you're playing 25, 26 minutes a night in an SEC game. And he, and he was forced to because they didn't have that depth. This year they've got that depth. It's, it, it's, I, I know what you mean when people say, well, it's overrated because you just play five <laughs> and you only really want a rotation of eight or nine. Yeah, but you, you want to have a roster full of guys you can count on. Not everyone's going to stay healthy. There's going to be foul trouble. There's going to be stuff that happens. You do need to have options. Well, depth may be overrated, and as I said, people say that, but it may be overrated in smaller conferences because it's sort of a different situation, whereas, you know, if you have one or two just all-out playmakers, and, you know, you can have a chance, whether you you can go five deep or eight deep or ten deep, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but as we know, you're in the SEC where there's just so many good players, and there are there are former, you know, four-star players that are sitting on the bench. And it's like, well, you, you've got to have that uh, to be able to match up uh, on a night-in-night-out basis. But, yeah, Ole Miss has it now, and, and that's something where it is. It's going to be one of their strengths this year. Um, and I, I do think for as well as they played last year, this is going to be one of those teams that we're going to see uh, that plays exactly the way that, that Kermit Davis wants to play just because he seems to have – uh, that versatility and, like I said, having those wing type of players uh, that can play around these dynamic, you know, all SEC caliber guards. Uh, very good problem to have there for him this year. Before we get off Ole Miss and, and touch on some other schools real quick, I, and I might be getting out of your wheelhouse, and if I am, I apologize. <laughs> I don't know how much you keep up with recruiting, but Ole Miss obviously is in on uh, a handful of guys, uh, highly ranked guys, Jamin Brakefield. A.J. Hoggard, uh, Sansom uh, Ruzinovich. I can't, I can't say his name. Uh, I need to learn how to say his name potentially because I, <laughs> I think he's going to play in this league in all likelihood. Do you have any insight on or any feeling as kind of how those recruiting battles turn out? Yeah, and like you said, you know, there's a lot of these guys, and, and we've seen this become a, a trend, which it's always been that way. But, you know, with, with some of these coaches that are here now, you just when you look at some of these kids, it's just like, hey, every, every SEC team is there, and they know um, that everybody all – because we have so many newer coaches in this league where everyone's trying to kind of find their spot and you mentioned Brakefield. Now, he's someone, you know, whether he goes to, to Ole Miss or not, I love his game. And I, I'm just – I'm so excited to, to see him because I do think he's going to be in the SEC. And, obviously, you look around at, at all the predictions and all that, um, you, you feel like Ole Miss is, is in a good spot just based on uh, when you look around at certain analysts and all that different stuff. And, and he's someone I would love to see him play for Kermit Davis because he is. Like he's that that long type of player. Uh, what is he six eight, six nine? I yeah. mean, he's just someone that would be huge. I mean, he's an impact player right away. I love He'd his love game. Love to see somebody. I love yeah. his game. Like I think he would be the first be guy in this program if he came. He would be the first guy at Ole Miss that was a potential one and done. Probably a no more than a two and done. And you yeah. know, those are the kind of players that. Those players impact the program. They take a program to a different place. And, I mean, you know, this current roster, it, it might have a couple of, at Ole Miss, it might have a couple of NBA guys on it, but it's guys that have to develop some. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, Austin Crowley could be a three-year and make an NBA roster kind of a guy, potentially. Mm -hmm. uh, Hadim C., it, he'll get a look just because of his size and, and, and that kind of thing. And the same for Sammy Hunter. But those guys aren't ready now. And Sean Robinson has a chance to be an NBA player, but that's years away. Brakefield's one of those guys that, like you said, he's he walks onto a campus, whether it's Ole Miss or Auburn or wherever he ends up, Louisville, he, he walks into a campus as a, a, an imminent NBA prospect, meaning – you know, two years and he could be in the league. Yeah, he's kind of that prototypical 
NBA player these days. I mean, just, just with the way he's made. And, and it's just, uh, I mean, he's someone, as we've seen. And, and it's, you know, it, it's weird because you you follow all these guys and you see kind of where they, they start. And once you, you know, it, it's so fun to me to watch some of these kids just progress, you know, from we're talking about them as freshmen, then we're talking about them as sophomores, then juniors, and then, okay, now where is he going to go? Well, now he's going into a senior year. And just seeing how all these kids develop, it's just one of the most fascinating things to me because for someone like him, uh, you knew sort of right away that, that he had it, and it was just a matter of, okay, how does he continue to develop his game? Uh, I would love to see him there because, like I said, I think he is the he's the guy that would step in right away, and uh, he would command a lot of tension, to, to say the least. Uh, A.J. Hoggard is supposed to announce his decision on Sunday Michigan State, Florida, Ole Miss. Do you got any? I know you know a lot of basketball people. Any insider prediction there? It seems like everyone has been talking about him with with Ole Miss, and I mean, excuse me, with Michigan State. And sorry, I know that's kind of a, a bad uh, mess up there with, with that comparison. But <laughs> you, when you look around, you know, I've there's a couple of recruiting guys that I'm close to. Um, every time I've seen his name come out, you really sort of see. Uh, handing around about Michigan State. Uh, now, you know, as we know, these things are, are not always what a high school kid's going to do. I've always said it's a very unpredictable thing. Uh, and so, you know, that sometimes you're leaning a certain way and you go another way. It seems like everyone's talking about Michigan State, but uh, like many other people, I can't say that, that I know for sure and uh, probably wouldn't be surprised uh, in a lot of different ways. And, and I think that says something about Kervin Davis because we've talked about him. You know, you're now in a situation where he is able to have such – he does such a great job building the rapport with these kids. And, and you you know, you go back to his teams at Middle Tennessee, and I can remember you had so many players that would either – you know, they get there right on campus, uh, they talk about just that connection with him, and then they leave there, and it's just that connection that he builds uh, with guys throughout the recruiting process and then ultimately once they get to his team and then just throughout, you know, them playing for him for however many years they're there, he's just he has sort of that that it factor when it comes to being able to connect uh, with with these kids, and uh, I think that's something that sometimes gets a little bit undervalued just because it's such a, a huge part of the game now, as we know, uh, being able to to make that connection and develop kids, and, and that's one of his biggest strengths for me. A couple of programs that. Made a lot of news last year in, in a lot of good ways and bad ways. Auburn, especially in a good way, making the Final Four, but they had they, they were caught up in the in the federal investigation to some degree. Uh, LSU situation was just weird last year. Two really yeah. good teams coming into this season, but the cloud still hangs over them a little bit. I've been told, hey, don't be surprised if LSU's in the crosshairs of the uh, of the NCAA. You know. They, they've gone after Kansas. They're going after Arizona. LSU's on the list. What do you anticipate in terms of NCAA issues with those two programs? And then on the court, how good can they be? Well, and that's that's probably I guess the problem for for teams like that that we've seen brought up in this stuff because on the court, uh, you look at the, the way both of these teams are built. Uh, you know, it, it's not it should be surprising to anyone if, if we're talking about LSU or Auburn once again, having a chance to sneak right up there and be at the very top of the SEC. And as good as we think Kentucky and Florida are going to be, it's just we see this for, for, for several years now because the conference has gotten uh, so much more competitive that any of these teams get, can you know, kind of jump Kentucky or jump Florida with the way they're made this year. And I think we're probably talking about LSU and Auburn as that next tier uh, behind those teams just because – you look at Auburn, it's such a unique roster, and sure, are they going to get back to the Final Four this year? Um, you know, w- with losing as many players as they did, it's going to be a hard thing to do, but it's a unique roster because Bruce Pearl's got pretty much all seniors and all freshmen, and it's just such a weird uh, dynamic. You know, I talked to him this summer, and he's like, I've never had a roster like this because it is. You've got all this experience at the top, and then you've got all these young guys uh, who haven't played a college game before. The good news is that all his young guys are really, really good, and they'll be able to step in right away, and several of those guys will, will have a chance to, to start and make big contributions uh, right away. Now with LSU, for, for me, I'm probably not – I mean, I'm high on LSU, but I'm not as high on them 
uh, as let's say in Auburn, uh, because I don't know how they play without Tremont Waters. I thought he was one of the best playmakers I've seen in the SEC Absolutely. in a while. Yep. And it's just, you know, playing without him on the court. And, look, I'm the one, Skylar Mays, probably one of the most underrated players in the conference. Javante Smart got a lot better. Uh, but how, do, how does everyone play without him? And that's what I want to see from them because they do have Trenton Walker there now. Uh, he'll be very good. You know, he's a future NBA player. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. Like, how, how do they play without a guy like that that's creating everything? Uh, that's what I want to see with LSU. I still think they're probably a, a top five, top six team in the SEC. Uh, but that may be the one thing that, that I have a pretty big question mark about with them going into the season. What about Mississippi State? I know there's going to be a lot of listeners that listen to this that are interested in the Bulldogs. They, they were good last year. They just never seemed to completely reach their potential. And then they had – the off-the-court stuff pop up, and I don't know where that is right now either. Uh, what do you, you kind of expect out of them? Yeah, they're a team, I'll, I'll say, you know, it's hard to get a read on exactly what to know with Mississippi State. I've, I've told people that this summer is probably if you, you know, maybe put a, a couple different teams in that mix, Mississippi State, uh, maybe in Arkansas, uh, there's probably another team I'm forgetting, but, but there are some teams that are just hard to get a read on. I think Mississippi State's one of those because – we mentioned it with LSU. I mean, you, you lose someone like Waters. Well, Mississippi State loses someone like Quindary Weatherspoon, who, who really, as we know, I mean, he was that guy they turned to uh, in late games. He's the guy that just made everything go. As good as the players were around him, uh, he was still the guy. And so now it's how do you replace that? Well, you go from him to what is undoubtedly going to be the guy this year, and that's Reggie Perry who I think surprised some people by coming back because he, uh, you know, just hearing from a lot of different guys who were there and watched him play during this process when he went throughout the NBA draft process and all that, um, they were surprised he came back because he probably made as big a jump as as a lot of different players in that that group. Uh, But yet now he comes back, has a chance to be a first-round draft pick next year for sure, Um, and and he's going to be everything that, that, you know, everything's going to run through him. Now, what else happens around that? Nick Weatherspoon's back, as we know. I mean, they've got some good guards there. I think Abdullah Du, he's back from injury now. Um, he's someone that will help certainly in the front court. But, you know, they're one that if I had to say, do I put Mississippi State uh, ahead of Auburn, ahead of LSU, ahead of maybe Alabama, uh, teams like that, I'd, I'd probably still have a hard time doing it because I think there are unknowns there that with them – uh, just because you, you do lose someone like Wendell Weatherspoon uh, and how maybe that offense looks without him, uh, that that's going to be uh, pretty interesting to me. You mentioned Arkansas. Obviously, Musselman's a good coach, kind of crazy, little little odd, <laughs> odd Twitter and stuff, but the guy's a really good coach. And they've got some, got some dudes back. Isaiah Joe's back. Jalen Harris is back. They added Connor Vanover, the transfer from Cal's. Uh, you know, he's an Arkansas native, and and I mean they, they've got people. I don't really know what I ex- expect from them. Jimmy Witt Jr., the transfer from SMU, is there. Uh, Reggie Cheney. I mean, they got that people, and they got a good team, I guess. But like, I don't see anybody. Talk- I've seen people talk about them being a bubble team, and I know they underachieved the last couple of years. Uh, but Gafford's gone. What what do you expect from them? I don't. I don't look at their roster and think that's a bubble team, that's an NCAA team. I think they slide on the on the bad side of the bubble, but maybe I'm missing something. Well, and, and the thing is, when he was at Nevada, the transfers he brought in, you, you saw kind of how they fit into what they had already done. Like, you saw how they fit into the style that you knew they were going to play, and you said, okay, well, these guys that are coming in, like they're, they're going to make an impact because he's going to plug them in here, he's going to plug them in there. Um, the, the thing is, with, with the new guys he has this year, I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly how they're going to mesh with, with Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones and Jalen Harris and, and all those guys. But, like, how does everything mesh together? Um, you know, it, it, it is. It's, it's been his philosophy. You know, he's, he's been able to mix and match guys every single season, and it's worked for him. Um, can he do that this season, knowing the level of competition uh, is going to take a big step forward? You know, it's different, and it's a different situation where he had the depth at Nevada to, to be able to kind of have 
you know, leave his mark on that conference, but can you do it in the SEC in your first year when you're trying to bring in guys basically in a situation where we need to win this year, let's just go grab some guys, and how do they fit in? We don't exactly know yet, but we're going to find out. So I think that's what we're looking at in that way, saying, well, how are, how are these new guys going to fit in? Because I, I love Isaiah Joe. I love Mason Jones. Um, I think they, they could have, you know, one of the better backcourts in the conference. But what else is there? And then how does everything else uh, kind of develop around those guys? Because they will be. They'll be the driving force of what they do. Um, I, I was one that I thought Musselman was a good hire, but I also understand people when they say, well, he, le- he leaned on the transfers, and, and how is he going to be able to do there? Um, every, if he does it every single season, you know, is there going to be situations where sometimes it could go really good and sometimes it could go really bad? And, and that's why I think you're looking around this year and saying, well, that could be the difference in whether we're talking about them as a potential bubble team or if we're talking about them as a, a bottom four team playing on Wednesday night in March. I'm going to wrap up with just some big picture predictions in a second. But just real quick, we didn't touch on Tennessee. We didn't touch on South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt. I'll leave Vanderbilt out for a minute because I want to ask you specifically about how that deal is going to work in your opinion. But I mean, it's, it's Rick Barnes and Frank Martin and Conzo, Conzo Martin, pretty, pretty good coaches. It's hard for me to count them out, yet I don't hear a lot of buzz about their teams this year with the possible exception of Tennessee. What do you just kind of – just real quick thoughts on those teams? Well, it's weird because I'm probably lower on Tennessee than most people. I, I – I look at what they lost, and even though they bring in uh, Josiah Jordan James, a five-star player that's really, really good, and they've got those experienced guards coming back, I just I don't know. Like I don't see the depth there, and I don't I don't see those intangibles they had with guys like Grant Williams, uh, and Admiral Schofield, and Jordan Bone, and that's what worries me a little bit about Tennessee. Uh, with South Carolina, <laughs> one of those deals where you know what I'll probably wind up picking South Carolina low, uh, but once again. Frank Martin will probably make me look like an idiot like he does uh, with a lot of people, you know, for the majority of the time he's been in South Carolina. Um, and they they could be, though, uh, losing Chris Silva hurts, but A.J. Lawson's really good. I mean, their, their guard group is going to be better than he's had there in a little while. Um, so they have potential to be a sleeper team. And then I would say the same thing about Missouri. Everybody's asked me who, if you had to pick one sleeper team. I've usually went with Ole Miss, but Missouri's probably that second team I'd put behind them. Uh, because they have a lot of you know guys coming back that played big minutes, and Jeremiah Tillman can still be one of the best big men in the league. Uh, and then you bring in Drew Smith, who for me is going to be just a game-changing point guard from Evansville who set out last year. Um, that, there's nothing probably you know sexy about Missouri and the way they play because that's just Conzo Martin's teams. They're going to grind it out and play defense. Um, but I, they've got the offense now to where they can match what they're doing on defense. I think Missouri could be a lot better than people think, even though they'll be picked probably 12 to 14 or 12 to 13. I think Vanderbilt will be picked 14th, but yeah. Missouri could be a lot better than people think. I guess they'll win a game somewhere. They didn't win one last year, and I don't like Vanderbilt's team. I, I didn't get the Stackhouse higher. Nothing against him. I just think in a league full of experienced veteran college coaches, I'm not sure it makes a ton of sense, but maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. Well, it's an out-of-the-box hire, and I know that it's one where, look, what I say every year we get in these kind of situations is, you know, it's a matter of we can only go by what we know, and what we know is that Jerry Stackhouse hasn't coached in college before. Um, you know, he has been able to, to coach at the, the, you know, the G League now, and, and he's had success there, and, and a lot of people, you know, I've talked to say he's one of the best guys in terms of player development and just instilling a toughness that they've seen. Now, that's a big positive because Vanderbilt's going to need both of those because those were things that have not necessarily been strengthened in recent years, as we know. And so now we're looking at it to where how quickly can he make up ground? And, and that's, for me, going to be the thing. You're going to have to be patient because it's not going to be this year. And, you know, he, he did a good job, I thought, of bringing in some talented players. But I just I don't know how quickly they're going to be able to make up ground there and, and how long – is he going to be there? And that's one of the things you've heard Vanderbilt fans talk about is, you know, what if a, an NBA job comes open? Or what, what if there's something? Because as we loved an NBA circle. Uh, is, is he there for the long term? And, and I don't know that it matters. I think people just want to see him be able to get this program back to a point to where 
Look, Vanderbilt basketball, I mean, we know. It's been a program that's had a lot of success in this league, and they just have to find a way to get back to sustaining that uh, for you know, and not be a, a winless team and be what literally was uh, one of the worst seasons we've seen in the SEC. And so just bouncing back from that, if he can add some of those things, if they can develop a little bit, people will be happy. Uh, but how far can he take them? Uh, that remains to be seen just because we don't, we don't know enough about what they're going to look like or, or how everything's going to come together there. All right, Blake, last thing, and I really appreciate all your time today. It's great stuff. Uh, just rapid fire. Just give me your first thought that comes to your mind. How many teams from the SEC make the tournament? I will say that it's going to be seven. Um, I, I tried to go eight. I was doing this a couple of days ago, but I'll say seven. I think that's probably the most realistic number. If I take away Florida and Kentucky, tell me an SEC team that makes – you can't say one of them because they're obvious. Give me <laughs> an SEC team or two that you could see making an Auburn-like run in the tournament. I will say probably – I mean, I think Auburn's in that group. Um I'll say Auburn or hmm, Auburn or Alabama because I, I'm I'm one that's high on Alabama. I think it's the style of play that NATO's going to bring. I think it fits the personnel. Um, I think Alabama could could be really really good. Give me a surprise team that that overachieves. Maybe at South Carolina, you might have just answered it a minute ago. Yeah, it, it would probably be South Carolina, Missouri for me. Um, I think. I don't know. I mean, I, I would probably lean more towards Missouri just because I, I do think that they kind of have the, the pieces they need now to be successful. So I'll go with Missouri. That's one not a lot of people say, but I'll take them. And a disappointing team, team that maybe most people think is going to make the tournament. End of the year, they're they're not in that mix. I think it's probably Tennessee, to be honest. I mean, I just – I don't know. Like, like they just – they lost so much. And I love Rick Barnes. I love – you know, that they've got some experienced guards coming back, Monte Turner, Jordan Bowden. Uh, I can mention, you know, Josiah Jordan James is there, but I, I just don't see the I don't see the depth there for them this year and, and I wouldn't be surprised uh, if they're on the outside looking. Oh, I can't imagine walking into that first practice and I know it doesn't work that way, but that first practice and there's no Grant Williams, there's no Admiral Schofield, there's no Bone. I mean, damn. Yeah. You talk about it's dudes that, it's a, it looks a lot different. <laughs> dudes that won a lot of games that you could lean on, that were leaders, all that stuff. Just replacing that at one time, brutal. Um, all right, hey, man, I've yeah. kept you long enough. Thanks so much for your time. Tell the listeners again one more time how they can get to your stuff. You know, I appreciate it, Neil. I really do. And, uh, yeah, all my stuff now uh, is at clutchpoints.com. Uh, you can check it out there. There's also an app you can find uh, in the App Store and all that stuff, which will uh, – it's all on the website now. You can find it there, our NCAA basketball section, but uh, it'll be on the app here uh, soon enough, probably in the next month or so, so you'll be able to get all our stuff there. Uh, yeah, lots of great stuff on the way, uh, not just SEC basketball, but college basketball, so I'm really excited to get started here. Blake, thanks so much. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Neil. Our thanks to Blake for his time on the show today. Uh, that does it for today's edition of the Beer Garden, sponsored by Oxford Crystal. Our thanks to all the people at Oxford Crystal, at Clark Ford, and at all of our advertisers. Please support them. That's what makes shows like this possible. We'll come back next week. We'll uh, get right back into uh, college and NFL football right around the midpoint of the regular season in uh, college football and getting into the uh, second quarter of the NFL season. So a lot to talk to on the gridiron, and we'll do that on the Beer Garden, presented by Oxford Crystal next week. Until then, I'm Neil McCready. Take care.